Welcome to our Clothe with the Sun daily podcast, our reading of the gospel and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Tuesday, August the 1st, 2023. It is the 17th, <laughs> yeah, 17th Tuesday of Ordinary Time, as well as the Feast of St. Alphonsus Liguri. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said in reply, He who sows good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed, the, kingdom, the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the, the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. So... We've been hearing these weeds and wheat parables over and over again the past couple weeks. This one is a little bit different than the sower and the seed, uh, because this is where this in this the distinction is that we are the wheat or the weeds. The sower on the one hand is the Lord, the sower on the other hand is the devil. The angels will sift through in the end. So we have to first decide who we are. Do you want to be the wheat or do you want to be the weeds? And this recognition that we are both at one time or another. I wanted to discuss a little bit today the difference between, and I, there's different ways you can talk about this, but I'm going to describe it as positive theology and negative theology. Uh, I remember one time my sister coming home from church saying, I don't like that priest. He's always telling us that we're going to hell. Well, when you listen to his sermons, he's not like telling them you're going to hell. But in so many words, he is saying it because he's laying out gospel teachings, moral teachings, and talking very clearly about what leads one to heaven, what leads one to hell, and the fact that it's a narrow road. I mean, he's using all the words that Jesus said. So my response to her at the time was, well, if you go to a doctor are you going to be mad at him if all he talks about is your cancer? Or would you rather him be more positive? Let's not talk about the cancer and how to cure that. Let's just talk about the fact that your eyes are working really well right now. Let's just focus on the good. Let's focus on the fact that you have all 10 of your toes. And, and there's no danger of any of them coming off. No diabetes or anything like that. Let's focus on that. No. Rather, <laughs> you pay this doctor to fix the things that are broken. And if you have cancer, let's just say, cancer's pretty bad, but hell's worse. You want that doctor to be talking about your cancer and saying, okay, this is what we're going to do to save your life, because otherwise you're going to die from this cancer. So what is the job of the priest? In many cases, not always, but I, this is why I want to talk about it today. In many cases, it's the priest's job and anyone's job who is a uh, representative of Jesus, an authority in the church or Christianity. You know, there's different ways we could define that. But 
It is our job to warn people. If somebody's about to fall into a pit, we warn them, don't go that way. If somebody's about to set themselves on fire, we try to stop that from happening. Somebody's about to walk into a, a bus, we hopefully would push them out of the way, even if it meant we might get injured. That's a little bit more heroic. And so when we see the people around us, especially people that we love, that are, and, and especially we're talking about a priest talking to his flock, I mean, isn't it our duty to say, you're doing things, you're living in such a way that's leading you to hell. So therefore, stop. Now we can't force it. And this is now where the virtue of prudence comes in. There are some priests, yes, all they do is talk about negative stuff and it drives the people crazy. We do have to address the fact that we need to use prudence. We need to use common sense in how we talk to people. And, and this is one thing that just frustrates me more and more about the church today. I'm against being a people pleaser, yet I've been it many times in my life, and the church continues to fail thinking that people pleasing works. So I'm not necessarily talking about people pleasing, but I am talking about being positive, focusing on the positive. Jesus talks a lot about hell and negative things in his talks, but when he ministers to the people one-on-one, I can't think of a single instance where Jesus wins a follower by saying to them, you know, you're going to hell unless you follow me. But rather, there's this positive uh, message. And it's not always just factual messages we're talking about. But rather, he calls them by name. He looks at them lovingly. He says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um. It's, you know, when we think about even just, you know, he says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. But he also says, woman, has anyone condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. And he says to so many, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. So what is the message here? The message is we need to use common sense. We need to be As Pope John Paul used to say, we need to become students in humanity. And it's so perfect that he said that. And not just students in the faith. We have to do that too, big time. But students in humanity. In other words, connecting to other people, seeing their dignity, and raising them up in and with that dignity. Speaking to them in a way that's loving, that draws them in, that affirms them. Dr. Bars, who is a contemporary of Pope John Paul, who taught a lot of the same things, but from a psychological standpoint, used to say, healing and growth only happens. Ready for this? This is powerful. And this is where a lot of our religious people are failing, or at least they have in the past. Dr. Bars said, healing and growth only happen in the context of affirmation, meaning If you're an abusive father, let's just say, and you're teaching your kids all the Ten Commandments and how to be moral, they're not going to grow and they're not going to learn. They might obey the rules at the time because they're scared, but they're not going to learn. They're not going to grow. Whereas a father who says, I love you, I'm here for you, I would do anything for you, a father that builds you up, 
and notices your gifts and talks about them and oh you like to draw you like to dance you like to act you like to sing let's sing show sing me a song let's let's build you up whatever it is whatever it is you like whatever it is that you feel a father that builds up his children and pours positive uh, I want to say vibes. I know it's such a contemporary word, so I'm not going to say that even though I already said it, but just the affirmation, affirmation is the word. And by affirmation, he doesn't mean compliments necessarily. He means time spent. It's one of the love languages. Compliments is another love language, but they say the greatest love language and Dr. Bars would say this very much. The greatest one is time spent. So, I remember with, you know, working with different students where, okay, some of them announced to the world that they were gay. Okay. Now I would be very patient with that because the following week they would announce that they were something else. A lot of them would, but I would continue to give them the church's teaching when they asked, I didn't beat them over the head with it, but I would continue to stay where I was in believing and following the church's teaching, but I would consistently love them and consistently be there for them and consistently say to them, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And you know, this expression, I accept you for who you are. We got to be careful with that expression because on the one hand, it's a very important thing to say. I accept you. I love you. I affirm you. I'm here for you. If you're a parent, you know, I'm still your mother. I'm still your father. I'm here for you. I accept you. But we're not saying that we accept the sin, but we accept the person. So to say, I accept you for who you are. Well, when I say that, what I mean is in the Lord, who you really are, not who you say you are. Because once again, when we're dealing with kids, it can change from week to week. And that's normal for teenagers. You know, the hormones are raging in all different directions and they literally are a different person each day. And that's okay because God made them to develop that way. But anyway, getting back to this message, today's the Feast of St. Alphonsus Liguri, and it's just interesting. He's the patron saint. I I remember one of my theology professors pointing this out to me. St. Alphonsus is the patron saint of moral theology. Yet, in the current edition of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I don't think there's a single quote from St. Alphonsus. Why? Because of the theology of the body. Because St. Alphonsus, even though he was an outstanding theologian, patron saint of moral theology, talked so much about morals, defined them, etc., how to believe this and how to teach that. I mean, I would think Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine wrote more than he did, but still, he was named patron saint of this. But his theology was negative. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying there's a place for that. And then in how we talk to people and how we affirm people, there's a place for building up an affirmation. So what do we have in the catechism? We have a lot of reflection of the theology of the body, which is a building people up rather than saying, let's just say, for example, because this is where theology of the body focuses in the area of sexuality. In the past, it was don't do this. Don't do that. Why? Because you're going to hell if you do. And this is bad and that's bad and this is a sin and that's a sin and don't do it or you're going to hell. And we know so many of us grew up only hearing that. Whereas what is the Pope, Pope John Paul's theology of the body? It's to say, let's talk about the goodness of sexuality. Let's talk about the peak on the top of the mountain that we're trying to climb to. Let's talk about the ultimate goods of the human person, of man and woman, of human love And let's talk about how we're going to get there. 
and how we're going to help each other get there. Let's build each other up. So Pope John Paul's theology of the body is about the beauty of the human person. And he takes it, I mean, in his original writings, it was philosophical, so you don't even really need religion to get to so many of his conclusions. And then later, he based it all on scripture. So it's very, very scriptural theology of the body, taking Jesus's different teachings about marriage and where he mentions different sexually related issues and Old Testament stuff, the Genesis chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And so Pope John Paul extrapolates from that. Pope John Paul expounds, meditates on the scriptures and points out the beauty of love, the beauty of the person and the ultimate goals that God is calling us to. So Pope John Paul, and then we know in his ministry, he was just always loving people, building them up, hugging and kissing and affirming, telling people they were beautiful and that they were good. So this is a great lesson for us. As we read these parables, And as we think about the life of St. Alphonsus, St. Alphonsus, by the way, is a great saint. He was brilliant. He founded the Redemptorists. A lot of the Redemptorists came to America in the early days. The Redemptorists kicked him out as he was getting older, but then he was reconciled before he died. So, yeah, he was, I think, reforming it as he went, and they didn't like that. You know, he's a true saint, true reformer. And he wrote a great deal. He wrote so many beautiful books about so many different Catholic topics, about the Eucharist, about the passion of Jesus, about the glories of Mary. It's one of my favorite books. It's such a great book. Uh, But he wrote a lot about morals as well. Uh, He wrote about the priesthood. Uh, I read his book, or at least most of his book, called The Dignity and Duties of the Priest. And he has a lot of really negative stuff in there. If the priest does this, he's going to hell. If the priest does that, he's going to hell. Now, once again, people don't exactly say that. What they mean is if you die in unrepentant mortal sin, which is what the church teaches, by the way, that's what puts a person in hell. But he's defining the mortal sins. He's defining what we call the serious matter that then becomes a mortal sin if you know it's serious and you give full consent to it. So St. Alphonsus is important for understanding the truths of our faith when it comes to morals. Very, very important. But right now, we're striving to be in what we call the new evangelization. It's not about nitpicking over sin, although sometimes that has to happen. It's the general emphasis right now is not going out to the world and telling them the bad news, but rather going out. And remember, Jesus, when he's talking about this parable, he's talking about to his apostles, that he's not saying these particular things from the mountainside. When he preaches the parables, he does that, but the parables, you know, there's a positive and a negative, and he's not clearly explaining the really negative stuff. Anyway, I don't mean to presume to be in the mind of Jesus. We just talk about the patterns that we see in the Gospels, that when Jesus is evangelizing, he does it in a very positive way. Pope John Paul's new evangelization is very positive stuff, and I recommend everybody start to read his writings, especially Theology of the Body. Take some classes on this because talk about something that's first and foremost, just going to affirm you and build you up. And so many of us walk around with these negative feelings about ourselves. And some of that is wrapped up in the way that we were taught religion. I'm not saying the religion is bad, although a lot of people will, will use that as their scapegoat for not going to church, but it's the way it was taught, you know, just negative stuff to make everybody live in fear 
And you try to then, it's, it's like if it were a government, it would be a dictatorship or communism or, or, you know, fascism or something rather than living in the freedom of God's children and to live in the freedom of a child of God. One must know the dignity to which they are called. One must hear the positive. One must be built up. And I think about, um, father Benedict Rochelle, who used to say, um, <laughs> this is a different topic, but it, it is tied to it in some way. And I'll finish with this. He used to say, as he was getting older, uh, I'm just aiming for purgatory. You know, all these teachings about hell and everything. He's like, I know I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be perfect. I'm striving for it, but I'm aiming for purgatory. Now, my advice would be aim for heaven and maybe you hit purgatory. Uh, especially when you consider all the things we have to help us get there, like scapulars and rosaries and all these promises of Jesus and Mary meditating on the seven dollars and practicing the five first Saturdays and the nine first Fridays. Um, but his point, he used to talk a lot about purgatory and just how there's pain involved in purgatory. But the difference between purgatory and hell is that the people in purgatory are overflowing with hope. We might even say there is no hope because there's, you don't need it anymore because they've met the Lord and they're so happy. They know their eternal destiny. They know they're going to be in heaven forever. And even though they're suffering, there's an endless amount of happiness. And that's what our faith is meant to be here on earth as well. We have crosses to carry, but we're meant to do them with hope that God loves us, that God created us good God created heaven for us and he's a loving father and he has so many good things in store for us. If we just continue to move in his direction, continue to trust in him. Have a great day, everybody. God bless you.